0: So I buy many, many barrels of whiskey every year and as such, go to these distilleries, pick them right out of the warehouse. And I can't tell you how crazy it is to like go down a line of barrels that were made the exact same way, the exact same day, aged in the exact same row.
1: What's up, everybody? It's Blake Fletcher. It is Whiskey Week here on Half Hour Intern. On both of the episodes this week, I will be sitting down with whiskey expert Josh Tennis, who is the general manager of Plump Wine and Spirits here in San Francisco. Plumpjack is known as one of the absolute best establishments to buy a bottle of whiskey in all of San Francisco, which probably makes it one of the best places to buy whiskey in the country. And a lot of that is due to Josh and his just absolute love and knowledge of whiskey. So in part one right here, it's a little bit more of a traditional interview where um, we get to learn a lot more about whiskey. Part two is more of a interactive learning experience where I got to do a tasting with Josh, which was super awesome for me. I'm not a Whiskey drinker. Um, I think I'm becoming a whiskey drinker, but uh prior to this I was not a whiskey drinker. So I, you know, ask a lot of questions about all the different whiskeys that we're tasting, and Josh will walk us through um, you know, just how to taste whiskey or how to taste any beverage for that matter. Um so that will be part two on Thursday, but again, this first one will just be more of a straightforward interview about all of the ins and outs of whiskey and the history of it and everything you could possibly want to know. Without further ado, here is Whiskey Expert. Josh, what's up, man? Thanks so much
0: for being on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, dude. I'm stoked because A, I get to learn a lot about whiskey. B, in a little bit, I'm going to get to taste some whiskey. This is like the ultimate thing. I'm happy for us. This is going to be fun. Yeah, totally, man. So why don't we start with the most basic because I I really do not know much about whiskey at all. I've never really liked whiskey that much in my life, to be honest. So, uh, But I haven't given it much of a chance. So let's just start with like, what is whiskey? What the hell is whiskey?
0: Uh well whiskey uh simply put is uh, a distilled beer um yeah simply put
1: so they actually take a beer and distill that or are they like cutting out some sort of middleman
0: yeah so um you know it's a, it's a distilled beverage made from fermented grains so um in if by that definition if you define a beer as a, a, a fermented um made from grains right like malt
1: hops all that
0: exactly then uh you know you just remove the water distill it and then you get a spirit um and then you know whiskey is usually implied that it's aged in barrel after that okay
1: so you go through the same sort of starting process that you would go through to make some beer um which i guess is distilling down some malt and stuff do they put the other things in whiskey that they put in beer like do they put hops and all that in whiskey as well
0: uh not commonly they don't they don't there are there are whiskeys now on the market that uh have been made from commercially hopped beer um and they are starting to get more popular but um they uh, do not add hops to the whiskey after that process and, and most whiskeys are really just made from you know either rye or corn uh based mixtures of grain recipes and then uh distilled
1: okay cool so, for those of us that don't know much about like, that whole process and distillation and all that, so what? You just add like a whole bunch of water to a whole bunch of corn or something, and then you light it on fire? Or, like, what, what do you do?
0: Um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, uh, uh, you, have to, you have to cook the grain in order to get it to release its sugars, and you kind of heat it up with water, and then you add yeast. Um, and yeast is the magic little wizard that turns the sugar into alcohol.
1: And uh, so, <laughs> so like schoolhouse rock, I love thinking about yeast as a little magic wizard.
0: Yeah, so um, you you, uh, you ferment the the grains and you get the byproduct of alcohol and you've got yourself basically a, a beer um, and then uh, from there then you will cook that and heat it up further in a kiln or a, um, a, a still, as they call it, and remove the water from that beer, thereby concentrating the alcohol into a spirit.
1: Okay, so that like people that cook... They're doing the same thing when they, like, produce a sauce or something. They just keep cooking it and allowing it to, like, burn off and get more concentrated. uh,
0: Similar concept, yeah.
1: Interesting. Cool, man. Um, So, you mentioned that you can use, like, rye or corn or whatever. So, whiskey, unlike just vodka, which I guess you could make, like, potato vodka or this type of vodka, that type of vodka. But whiskey actually has, like, different names. Like, there's scotch. There's bourbon there's other things that i don't know about i'm sure um so like what are the different attributes of those different things like i assume it's a different grain that makes a different type of whiskey
0: yeah that's the that's the predominant um characteristic and you know a lot of these um types of whiskeys evolved geographically over time in their own places where grains were grown so in, in northern europe um there was more rye prevalent than corn, uh, like unlike uh, in America, where you know Native Americans have been growing corn for hundreds of years yeah. before we settled here. So a lot of the the native grains have a lot to do with what kind of evolved in those areas. Um, and then as we grew in society and commercial production, we then in places put you know actual stipulations on what grain must be in a particular whiskey in order to be called. A certain whiskey. So like bourbon, for example, um, must contain at least 51% corn in order to be called a bourbon. So um, bourbon's
1: like the American one.
0: Bourbon um, is certainly, uh, you know, an American um, origination, absolutely. Um, and rye really actually predates uh, bourbon in the United States. Um, you know, we didn't really start making bourbon until the early mid 1800s on a, on a larger scale. And rye, was uh, made rye whiskey. Uh, when I say rye, I'm referring to rye whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was made um, much earlier than that. Um, probably even pre-revolution, when we were just beginning to have settlers come over from Northern Europe. Um, they brought with them distillation and uh, the grains that they were used to uh, distilling were were rye. In that case, mm-hmm. especially the Dutch and the Germans, um, for that matter. So we were making rye for about a hundred years before we started making bourbon. As we settled more centrally into the United States towards like the corn belt, yeah. um, we started borrowing grains that were in that new area and then bourbon kind of evolved. Interesting. It's funny how basically everything is like that, right? Like it's completely
1: historical and geographic why anyone cooks anything or drinks anything or eats like nowadays today we can get anything at like the drop of a hat so easily from anywhere but obviously this is the reason that these things originated
0: yeah i mean it's very culturally steeped that's absolutely the reason why it's um evolved the way it has is because of how rich it's been intertwined with the different cultures that have created it yeah
1: yeah so my one piece of amazing knowledge about whiskey is that scotch is from scotland and like that's the Scot- that's the name Scotch. It's, yeah. it's from Scotland. Now are there any other types of whiskey?
0: Um rye, bourbon, yeah, scotch. Yeah, so we we kind of touched on rye and bourbon a little bit. You know, uh, I mentioned that those kind of those were created in the United States and obviously distillation had been around before uh we were a country. Um and arguably the Irish were the ones who came up with um whiskey as it is. Um, as we know it today, and brought it kind of to Scotland, England, and, you know, Scotland is probably more uh, a common um, um, reference for people when they think of whiskey than, say, Irish whiskey, although Irish whiskey is is a really uh, popular category right now, really growing in volume. Um, But, you know, over in Scotland, they're typically making whiskey from malted barley, um, and that would you know, not be as common here in, in the United States. So that's kind of one of the other. Um, in order to call a single malt scotch, a single malt, it must be from one malted grain in one distillery.
1: Okay. Okay, yeah. So that you just basically really quickly broke down like a fancy term that they're using in scotch. So when people say like, oh, this is a single malt scotch, say, say that again, what that would mean?
0: Yeah, so, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, I only drink single malt or... um Maybe they're only familiar with like Johnny Walker, which is a blended scotch. You know, so the term scotch is kind of more um, hierarchical. So that's just referring that it has to come from the country of Scotland, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it would be like you can't call something um, American if it wasn't from America. So um, there are different types of whiskeys in Scotland, though. And one of those, the predominant you know, one being um, blended whiskey by volume and then single malt whiskey. Which, as I said, is from one malted grain, um, in this case, barley instead of rye or corn, Mm because that's what they use in Scotland predominantly. Uh, One malted grain from one distillery producing that whiskey. Um, Whereas you think of a product like uh, Johnny Walker, um, that's a blended scotch. It's not a single malt scotch, um, or at least most of them are not a single malt scotch. Um, And they're obtaining whiskeys from multiple distilleries, and in that case, also. Um, grain whiskeys, usually corn are blended in, in proportion to malt whiskeys to kind of reduce costs and, um, expand volume and that kind of thing.
1: And also expand, it's interesting. So this interview comes at a good time because last week I just did a winemaker episode and I was already more familiar with wine anyways, but a, there's the piece of, like you said, possibly reducing cost, possibly, um, uh, making it just easier on the maker to be blending these different things. But also, you can try to make a really cool tasting thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you... The winemaker was talking with me about how he'll make blends. And he's like, you really start to get to know each barrel, even. Like, within your own distillery. Or, or like, within his own, like, wine place. Whatever that's... Winery. With his own celery, <laughs> cellar. So, he would, um, like, have his all of his Syrah barrels over there. And his Merlot barrels over here. And if he knew his Merlot was, like, really... Uh, Strawberry-ish Or something and he's like oh I want it to be more Peppery it's like oh man those Straw barrels over there are peppery so Maybe like 40% of that and then maybe It's too peppery and now we need something else So he's like oh you know what it'd be cool so you get to Like be almost like an artist if You're the winemaker in that case so I guess that's kind of also Fun and, and probably why There's more of these blended whiskeys because Now you get to Not only maybe make up for the shortcomings Of some of the you know barrels that you have or whatever it is but you actually get to try to purposely make a flavor you get to like try to do something with it
0: yeah absolutely i mean there's a lot of uh well there's a couple of parts to that so um historically blended whiskeys really came about because that was kind of the commercial means of getting them to the public so we had very very tiny uh distilleries that were really basically just farmers Using their spent grains after the season to keep them warm through the winter, they'd make a, a whiskey, maybe throw it in a barrel, and uh, there you have it. And as people started to take these whiskeys to market and the public was actually drinking and wanting whiskey, um, market makers and brokers uh, started stepping in. So, and these these distillers didn't have the means to bottle and ship out and and you know commercially distribute whiskey. So, blenders like uh, Johnny Walker and Sons and folks like that stepped in and kind of made the market what it exists. That's crazy. And so it wasn't so much that oh, you know, here's so blended, this fun
1: thing we can do. It's like built out of necessity. It was we built got out of like, necessity. Absolutely. We got to get rid of this all this extra whiskey that we have lying around,
0: right or uh, not get rid of. I mean, just uh, people want it, you know, and yeah. so they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna make a business out of it. So um, you know, it wasn't so much that uh, there weren't single malts maybe at that time as much as that it just was more commercially viable for blending houses to be formed and making a consistent product that was indicative of that blending house was more the business model. Hmm. Nowadays, these distilleries kind of grew out of their illicit phase into a more uh, legitimate productive phase uh, over the, you know, the decades of the, I guess that would have been like the late 1700s, then pushing into like the industrial revolution in the UK where there was actually means to export this type of product. And then you started seeing really a a bigger rise of actual, um, big distilleries producing single malt scotch, putting their own name on it. Um, but you know, in terms of volume, you know, blended whiskeys by far outpace single malt scotch still to this day. Um, and that's probably what most people are accustomed to thinking of when they think of scotch would be like a Johnny Walker. Um,
1: So I imagine pretty much every whiskey that doesn't explicitly say that it is a single malt is going to be a blended whiskey. Um, yeah, I, yeah,
0: that sounds about right. Um,
1: like that's kind of a point of pride. So you're going to go out of your way to yeah, say it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's if, generally speaking, I mean, if it's going to be a single malt, it's going to say single malt on it. Um, there's a little bit of confusion for folks when it comes into like blended malt versus blended scotch, like blended malt is really actually a lot of times implying that it, it is all malted barley. It's all malt whiskey doesn't contain grain whiskey, but it's a blend of multiple different whiskeys from multiple different distilleries. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's actually like litigation going on right now, not just in the UK, but in uh, the United States, um, about labeling laws for whiskeys because there's a lot of convolution on on that. And um there I mean there's class action lawsuits happening right now about about the deception on whiskey labels and what must be said and what can't be said and that kind of thing. So labeling um, is usually very explicit in that mm. regard, yeah. Why, just
1: being able to command a higher price because you said something on your label?
0: Uh, well, I mean, single malt is more expensive to produce. Barley is a more expensive grain than corn. It's harder to ferment into a beer, and so therefore it's just harder to make that you know final product. Um, but um, yeah, there is a sense of pride in that. Um, in, you know, in Scotland, when it comes to single malts, it's been my experience over the years that I what I appreciate about single malt is um, the unique sense of place that each individual whiskey distillery has. Um, the same way that people go really um, into, say, Napa wine versus Sonoma wine or Burgundy versus Bordeaux. Um, and the cool thing is these things are all we were just talking about made from, in, in the case of scotch, made from malted barley so what gives them the unique difference of flavor is not a cabernet grape versus a pinot noir grape to use the bordeaux burgundy reference but where that um, difference takes place is in the distillery in the water in the technique in which they're making the distillate and it's really amazing that all those differences in flavors can just really be created you know by a person and and a still yeah
1: grain. particularly with scotch with such a small place it's particularly unreal. with scotch yeah yeah So let's talk about age. Um, Something that you recently educated me on that just blew me away was I... Like when you know about an age of wine, um, like let's say you're having a 2006 Merlot or something. So it's probably gonna be pretty expensive and nice or whatever. And with wine still all of it is taken out of the barrel usually within the first one to two years. And mm-hmm. then the fact that it's 2006 just means it was you know, placed in a bottle a long freaking time ago and has been sitting in a bottle ever since. And now you're going to drink it. With whiskey, when it says that it's a 25, 30-year-old whiskey, that means that was in a freaking barrel for 25 or 30 years. That's not oh. like, oh, that's been sitting in a bottle in someone's basement. That's actually been in the barrel for the whole 30 years
0: yeah that's correct i mean it doesn't it doesn't age after it's been removed from the barrel, um, so that age statement on the label is always referring to how much time it was spent in barrel before it was bottled yeah
1: so why why do all that like what makes a thirty year old whiskey better than a fifteen year old whiskey
0: uh, I mean it doesn't make it better a thirty year old whiskey doesn't make it better it makes it older um, and <laughs> consequently more well expensive yeah um, but it doesn't make it better uh, it definitely makes a different flavor profile and um when I uh, so you yeah so when I recommend whiskeys for people it's it's more based on what type of flavor profile people like and that's kind of almost a big word in a way like it's more just like what do you like to do with your whiskey do you like to drink it straight do you like to make a cocktail um, it's the same thing that you might experience if you go to a restaurant and order a bottle of wine and either the server or someone you know sommelier there is bringing out the list and you have no clue how to navigate it. Um, a lot of times you'll find, hey, I like this wine better than the other. And why did I like it better? It was more, it was less. And the same is true for really for all beverages. Um, but yeah, age is just a product of um, of more time in a barrel, not really quality. Um, so when they go to lay down those
1: barrels, like when they very first put the early distilled whiskey into the barrel, and now it's going to sit there for 30 years, is that the exact same whiskey? As let's say, l- let's say they make a ton of a ton of whiskey one day, and now they're putting it all into barrels. Is some of that going to be opened up fifteen years from now, and some of it might be opened up thirty years from now, or are they purposely doing something different with the thirty-year one during the distillation process? Even to like give it a different flavor before we put it in the barrel, or just do something
0: different to it. A lot of that has to do with like the tradition of where it's being made. There, the a lot of the Scotch distilleries, some of the even just smaller and unchanged distilleries over time have just really made one type of distillate and they lay it down. And it's probably more the warehouse that kind of dictates what age it's going to be because of how it evolves over time, hmm. not the person filling it in the barrel and putting it away. Um, contrast that with, say, a bourbon distillery in America. There are only a handful of distilleries in America making a majority of the bourbon whiskey and rye whiskey brands on the market. So that means they're not just making one type of whiskey, they're making a bunch of different brands that take maybe different recipes of grains like we were talking about in the beginning, and that will be aged for different amounts of times in a, um array of maybe 25 different warehouses on their property. And that's a much more complex puzzle to put together than you know some distillery that just has three simple offerings of the same whiskey that's aged to three different levels so it 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 would certainly depend on a lot of that and then there's also just a little room for magic um <laughs> with what what can happen and you know you go if you go to these places and you're in a warehouse and you're tasting I've done a lot of barrel I buy barrels of whiskey for a wine and spirit store here in San Francisco and uh, spread them around some of our restaurant uh, group and everything like that. And so I buy many, many barrels of whiskey every year and as such go to these distilleries, pick them right out of the warehouse. And I can't tell you how crazy it is to like go down a line of barrels that were made the exact same way, the exact same day, aged in the exact same row, and they're all different. Hmm. And so you compound that possibility over an entire warehouse or rick house that's maybe three to 15 stories high with different, um, whiskeys. There's just a lot of variation that can be had. So there's a lot of, uh, predictability and unpredictability at the same time.
1: What is a barrel doing for alcohol in general? Cause a lot of alcohol use barrels.
0: Yeah. You know, they kind of accidentally discovered the use of barrels, um, and without precise, you know, historical reference, it's, it was most likely just an accident that was discovered by transportation of, you know, raw whiskey to sell someplace else or really just storage. Like, I got to store this over the winter. I have nothing to put it in. I'm going to put it in this oak barrel that I made. Um, but what they discovered was it, the, the raw edges and the flavors really uh, mellowed out and um, got better over time with resting in wood and Oak in particular, which is the, the most common type of wood they'll use um, in whiskey making by far um, has naturally occurring vanillin in it and other types of sugar compounds that really add a nice kind of caramelized flavor to a, ball, a raw spirit. Um, and so it, it kind of just takes on this um, interaction over time as it breathes and, and goes in and out of the barrel um, with the changing temperature and season and that kind of thing. And that interaction is what gives it all its color and a lot of the flavor. I didn't think about that, that a natural amount will kind of make its way through the barrel.
1: Like how, how much are you left with after like 30 years? Like if you filled up a barrel and 30 years later you pop the cork on it, is it like half gone or something? It
0: depends. Um, it, So it just depends on temperature, right? And humidity and, mm, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, um, and alcohol proof. So in Scotland where it's cooler than in Kentucky, the alcohol kind of slows and tends to just gradually decrease as it gets older in Kentucky. It's so hot at times, um, that the water will actually evaporate out of the barrel as well. And sometimes the proof of the whiskey even increases when mm. it is pulled out. Yeah. Um, there's the the term that you're referring to the the evaporation is called the angel share. So that's just the amount that the the angels are drinking in the air in the warehouse. <laughs> um, and usually, I think they say it's about two to four percent in Kentucky. Probably closer to two in Scotland. A little closer to four in Kentucky. And in places like Taiwan, there's a there's a new distillery in Taiwan now called Cabalon. And Taiwan is obviously a really you know. A, Hot and muggy island, um, you know, in the pan Asian area, and so they've found out that evaporation there was like insane, they were losing like 20 30 percent of their barrel in a matter of years. So, the majority of the whiskey that this Kavalon distillery has been making is only aged to four years old because they're hardly left with anything left, um, in the barrel Damn. by the time they pull it out at four years old. So this stuff's exorbitantly expensive, too, because what they paid to make that whiskey has just kind of gone into into the air.
1: So, Josh, I meant to ask you this earlier, but you are very young, I feel like, to be so into scotch. Like, I know a lot of young guys who are into whiskey, or people like drank whiskey back when I was in college, but they were just drinking Jack and Coke. You drink a lot of really nice whiskey <laughs> and a lot of really nice scotch. Those are like old man drinks. Like, what? happened to you? How did, is it that you got really into scotch?
0: I had my days of drinking Jack and Coke and uh, and Black Velvet in college too, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, but when I moved out to California about eight uh, years ago, I uh, got into the wine business and um, sold wine and got really obsessed with wine, learned all I could about wine, worked with people who had been doing it for decades and just consumed. I have a very consumption... Uh, type of personality when it comes to knowledge and things that I'm really into. And so I got obsessed with wine. That was the gateway that got me into whiskey. It was a wine and spirit store that I worked at in in San Francisco. And um, we sold spirits as well. And so the first whiskey that I really remember kind of getting into was scotch before I got into bourbon. Um, Part of that was because my mentor was more into it. And so we had more of it. And so I was kind of Hmm. responsible for learning about that and selling it as well. And so I just got the gateway uh, access at a really young age, um, and it was pretty. It, I mean, did it taste good to you? Like I remember. Uh, so my dad drinks
1: scotch, and I remember the first time I finally had scotch with him. I was maybe like twenty-two, and he. We had scotch. I think I might have only had one sip because I was like, this tastes <laughs> like car tires, like,
0: or band-aids, or yeah, like creosote. it was. I had
1: never tasted something so foul in my entire life. And it's funny because now I've had scotch a few times since and it doesn't taste so foul to me. And I'm yeah. not sure exactly what I was tasting at the yeah. time, but there certainly is an interest. Like, if you've never tasted peat before, that like yeah. smokiness or whatever, yeah. you're just like, someone threw a campfire in my mouth. Like, why yeah. would you intentionally do that to yourself? And you had, so when you had scotch for the first time, you did not have that knee jerk reaction. You were like, oh, this is good.
0: No, I mean, so I had, I had probably tried scotch. I, I do remember actually the first time I tried whiskey. It was really, really young. I was probably, you know, 12 years old or something. And I was watching the Packer game with my dad, and we were at a friend's house from church or something. And he always had Crown on the Rocks for the Packer game. And so. I was intrigued, and I said, let me take a sip, and, you know, he kind of looks at my dad, and my dad says, sure, go ahead, you know, and I took a sip, and it, it was the exact same reaction, just like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> probably like my dad thinking, oh, well, if he smokes the pack of cigarettes, he won't want to smoke cigarettes yeah, ever, yeah, right? Totally. totally. Um, and, yeah, so, and when I got into, you know, maybe experimenting with drinking at a younger, maybe underage age, the only type of whiskey I would drink would be sweeter whiskey, like Jack Daniels or, um, or that kind of thing because that's uh uh no it's 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 not technically a bourbon it's a tennessee whiskey um but it's pretty close to bourbon for a lot of practical purposes um in any case though you know to answer your question my palate has evolved a lot just as i got older i like a lot more vegetables now than i did when i was a kid (laughs) uh part of that has been kind of moving out to california getting in the wine business we're such a foodie culture out here that it's kind of almost forced on you to refine your, your palate and yeah. your tastes. So that was probably part of it, but no, it was a lot of tasting and there was plenty of things that I didn't like in the beginning, but the more and more I went back to them and thought about them in a different context, I saw other flavors that weren't just the campfire that weren't just the car tires. And I started noticing other things about it that I liked and, uh, that, you know, and just the ev- evolution of your own palate and, and kind of, where and when you happen to stumble upon that is, is a lot. And, uh, you know, we've, we've shared whiskey before that. I remember the first time when you were at my house and we were, you were like, Whoa, that's a lot of stuff there. You know, I don't really drink whiskey. And I said, well, I'm sure we can find you something you like. Right. Um, that's part of the funnest thing about, about this for me is when I talk to people who don't know anything about this is knowing that, all right, there's gotta be a whiskey that you're going to, get into first yeah so finding that is the kind of strategy number one just get into whiskey in general
1: what was really incredible just sorry as an aside here that night that we were at your house so I'm, I'm excited to do this tasting again um you were like all right let's find a whiskey for you and we went through like three or four different whiskeys and they might as well have been like entirely different alcohol they might like it, you know it's like giving somebody like coke and seven up and then saying that they're the exact same soda you know it's like no they're not like these are different things and it's it's interesting that that it's all whiskey and yet you can have like such a diversity of flavors
0: yeah um that's that's kind of what keeps the the passion going right is cuz there there is really so many flavors so it's it's really tough to get bored cuz if you're bored you're not you're not really exploring right you yeah. know
1: all right, so really quick before we uh move on to the tasting to what will be uh part two of the episode, um, let's talk about some of the more like interesting things about whiskey. so first of all, are there is there anyone like doing anything cutting edge in whiskey or is it like this is some really old stuff, so it's all about tradition and that's it?
0: That's a good question. Um, yes. There is a, there's a lot of experimentation happening and category, um, redefining and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of that is driven by the millennial kind of up and coming generation getting into whiskey for the first time. We're such a large consumer, uh, base now that we're single handedly altering the, you know, the demand for whiskey worldwide, especially scotch and bourbon, um, so it's forcing people to get creative, just like in the beer world that, you know, people are doing new things that that same thing is happening uh, a lot, especially by us here in, in San Francisco. There's um, a distillery called Seven Stills who started off getting really passionate about craft beer um, and decided they wanted to distill it. Um, there's a, a guy in Ukiah um, named Marco at at who is a, you know, a, 13th generation distillery family and kind of got his start making craft brandy and vodka and now makes multiple different types of whiskeys. Also some um, distilled from craft beer. He was actually kind of one of the first people to do that. These seven stills guys and a lot of other people are emulating him now. Hmm. Um,
1: so when you say distilled from craft beer, they're buying the craft beer ingredients or they're like straight up, Brewing a craft beer and then now we're going to like extra distill this afterwards
0: the seven stills guys started brewing their own craft beer and then distilled it you know this Marco guy in charbet um he uh when he wanted to he when he wanted to make his first whiskey he didn't really have the means to make the beer in his facility so he went out to some friends in the area and found bulk Pilsner and distilled it and got a lot of success from it a lot of people were into it so he made a couple other different batches like that from commercially available beer here in northern california from bear republic brewing yeah um, yeah totally so they make a big bear stout and a racer 5 ipa and so he makes be a uh, whiskey from distilled bear republic stout that's awesome racer like 5 racer IPA. 5
1: is awesome it's, um I does that then end up having a more robust flavor profile when it comes out of the barrel or is it like the barrel just mellows everything out so much anyways you would have never known that this was an IPA to begin with
0: Yeah so it, you know the barrel has a lot to do with it right um we didn't really talk about it yet and we can do that when we crack open a couple of these bottles about the different kind of requirements and barrels and stuff like that but um in Marco's case he's not using the same type of barrel they would use in bourbon or in scotch he's using um french oak barrels um that a lot of times held california wine in them um and that's a that has a lot different influence on the on the final product he's not aging them as long um but predominantly the flavor you get i mean it smells like distilled racer 5 it smells like hops and it smells like a lot of the tropical like citrus like flavors that you get from a hopped beer And then the same kind of herbaceous, piney, cannabis-like flavors that you get from a hopped beer as well. Mm. Um, And then the stout distillate whiskey that he makes is kind of chocolatey and roasty and that kind of thing. The barrels that he's using are pretty pretty, um, subtle. These Seven Stills guys that I was telling you about use barrels that previously held craft beer in them. So they Mm. took another local um, producer here from Almanac Brewery. And they took barrels that were previously holding sour beer from almanac brewery and aged their whiskey in those barrels so a lot lot different flavor profile there a lot of almost like a funkiness from the ones from the the sour barrels, yeah, what imagine. Because of the leftover yeast that's in there and that kind of thing yeah, um and then you know a lot of people are starting to make wheat whiskeys. and there's a guy in Tennessee making whiskey from buckwheat, which is pretty similar to um um, malted barley in a way. Um, he makes one from quinoa. Uh, there are people doing a lot of really interesting things and a lot of different barrel finishes. Um, You know, bourbon we can expand upon this I guess later, but bourbon has to be put in a brand new charred oak barrel in order to be legally called bourbon. And what that did was you know it requires distilleries to buy a brand new barrel every single time they they pull whiskey out of a barrel, they got to buy a brand new barrel and that's expensive that's very expensive. um so what they do is they'll sell those barrels, usually to the Scotch distilleries or maybe other distilleries in the United States or other countries, maybe you know rum distilleries, whatever um so American producers now are starting to play around with different barrel finishes and not just using um white oak or you know charred unused white oak to age their whiskey they're playing around with sherry barrels for the first time like scotland has been for a while and other wine barrels and things like that so um honestly the future is going to be a lot different and more crazy uh, when it comes to all this stuff because there's just so much production happening there's a distillery in every state now and and 20 years ago that wasn't the case at all
1: yeah all right before we break for part two to do the tasting uh, a couple things so one let's give people some advice for Um, if they have not been really into whiskey before in their lives, is there any sort of thing that you would classify as like a gateway drug, any sort of like easy access whiskey for a non-whiskey drinker?
0: Recently, I've really been into the Japanese whiskeys and I hesitate suggesting this because they're probably all going to get harder to find and then people are going to be like, yeah, that's a good suggestion. I can't find it anywhere. (laughs) Um, but the way the reason i say that is because they're just really masters at blending and so i think i'd probably suggest people start out with a blended whiskey a blended scotch or just a kind of more middle of the road in price point bourbon if you if you think you have more of an american or or sweeter driven flavor so sweeter
1: would be bourbon and then not as sweet would be scotch
0: yeah because um and that's just a matter of preference for people, right? But if, if you tend to like sweet things, bourbon's probably the direction you want to start with. And okay. if you tend to like less sweet things, rye whiskey maybe from America or Irish or malted whiskey from from Scotland. Uh, the reason I suggested Japanese, though, is because there's a couple of them out there. In particular, Habiki uh, is a really good one. And the reason I say that is because I think that was maybe one of the ones that I started you on, too. Yeah, totally. Um, and there's this blended whiskey out there just called Habiki Harmony. Um, which is a you know a harmony blend of all their different types of whiskeys that the um parent owner puts in them and it's just a really good gateway cuz it's just subtle and very delicate and very pretty and it's really hard to dislike hmm. um so that's that's definitely a good one it's kind of in the more maybe pricey premium okay that's point, what i was going to say yeah.
1: I, I think i just saw a bottle of that the other day and it was about like 75 80 bucks or yeah, something yeah that
0: sounds about right
1: anything uh if i okay if let's say you don't, you're not making as much money, anything around like 30, 35 bucks for shopping uh, under that for sure.
0: Yeah. Like one of my favorite go-to's is four roses, yellow label. Uh, it's a bourbon. It's easy to like, and it's a great mixing drink. Uh, it's good enough to sip on its own. um, Probably only twenty bucks, depending on where you live, oh, whoa, and um, you were
1: mentioning doesn't four roses make somebody else or they get made by somebody else, or something like that? Didn't four I mean? roses
0: uh for a while was the contract distiller for bullet bourbon, okay, so if you like bullet bourbon, four roses is a predominant component of that still until the the remaining stock runs out, but um so yeah, it's in that same kind of category there's also um. Old Forester 100 proof is really good if you're like into making old fashions or cocktails with whiskey and you Mm. you want to try that vehicle first before you just get into sipping it straight. Um, The 100 proof is nice because it adds a little bit more um, presence in a cocktail, but um, also good enough to sip on its own. Cool. Probably only 25 bucks, too.
1: Cool, let's uh, do one last thing before we end this one to go on to part two. If anybody just has a really fat bankroll that's listening to this and they want to taste along with us during our tasting, if you want to just uh, mention off of each thing that we will be tasting in part two, they can go and get these between the episodes and they could like follow along with the tasting. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, so I brought a, just a, an array of couple here. So uh, I brought a McAllen 17-year-old fine oak. Um, A Yamazaki 18-year-old, which is a Japanese single malt whiskey. A Laphroaig 18-year-old, which is uh, another scotch. And then I brought a bourbon from um, a producer called High West Distillery. And this is called American Prairie Reserve. Josh, cool, man. I'm excited to uh, get this
1: tasting going. Let's do it, man. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did enjoy the episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave me a review on iTunes. If you did not enjoy the episode, if you don't enjoy the show, then you can actually go on my website, halfhourintern.com, and send me an email through there and tell me what you don't like about it, and I will write you back and tell you what a huge jerk you are. And while you're on halfhourintern.com, you can actually also sign up for my newsletter on the center of the homepage, um, which I just recently started. I'm having a lot of fun writing, and my mom loves it, which means it must be like super, super good. And if you don't trust my mom's opinion of it, you can actually click on the top of the homepage uh, link that says Newsletters, and that will take you to old editions of the newsletter, so you can actually um, look at old editions before signing up to get future editions of the newsletter. Um, As always, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care.